thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I'm going to move this just to make it easier for me because I move around a lot. Um, from uh, So just a little background, my family and I, for those of you who don't know me, because I saw several families here uh, and people that, have never, that I've never had the privilege of meeting, um, I uh, pastored in Marshfield for about seven years at Northridge Church and did student ministry there in Marshfield, met my wife there started a family, and then I uprooted my family and moved them to Arkansas, which is where I'm originally from, if you can't tell from my accent. Uh, and then last, uh, this past summer, the early part of the summer, I came back and visited you guys, had the privilege of sharing the gospel and talking through uh, what it means to walk in our calling as Christ followers. And I shared with you a transition that was happening in my life, for those of you who were, who were there that, that day. That transition was that I was running a nonprofit ministry for high-risk teenagers in central Arkansas. Uh, but God had kind of started shifting our hearts. And so we resigned that position before I knew what my next move was. It was a little bit scary, uh, but we just knew that God had kind of uh, allowed, it was time to pass the baton of that uh, position and then figure out what the next move was. And in that season, God began to show my family and I um, this passion uh, and kind of reignite a passion for central Wisconsin. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, I called some friends in Arkansas yesterday to see what the weather was like. It was 75 degrees there yesterday, so just leave that there. So this is obviously the call of God on our lives. Now, we're excited to be here. Um, so uh, Zach and I had the privilege of, of pastoring together when we were in Marshfield, and I love coming to the mill. I, I love this family. Um, I love what God is doing in Stratford. And so one of the things that I was praying through, like, God, what do you want me to, what do you want me to say? Um, and I think I'd like to carry on the conversation from last summer. For those of you who are here, and for those of you who weren't, we'll, we'll pick it up. But it's this idea of like, okay, we know what our calling is as Christ followers. We know that God has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. So how do we like know what, what direction we're supposed to go? Like what, what's our next move? How do we know what the will of God is in, in our lives? And that's what I want to talk through uh, this morning. Like, like what direction uh, should I go, Lord? What do you want me to do now? How, how many of you have ever prayed that prayer? You know, like what, you know. I mean, where, where am I supposed to be going? Should I, should I take this job? Should I speak to her? Should I, what should I do, right? Or, or more serious questions like, what do I do in this season of life that feels pretty chaotic and life feels like it's not, it's not working really well? You know, not knowing uh, the direction that we should be taking is probably one of the main causes of stress in our lives. I mean, t typically that's like where we get the most anxious and the most... Uh, frustrated, the most, the most scared. There is a, uh, there's a show out there, Man vs. Wild. Anybody ever watch Man vs. Wild, Bear Grylls, right? I love that show. They came up, Netflix uh, created this new thing called You vs. It's not really new anymore, but You vs. Wild, right? Have you ever, you ever seen You vs. Wild? Uh, sorry, I'm from Arkansas. I like a little interaction. So uh, anyway, so You vs. Wild is this show where like Netflix, you can watch it and you can choose the direction uh, that Bear Grylls takes. So there was one episode where he has to cross this ravine, right? And there is a log that he could shimmy across or there's a vine that he could like swing across. Well, duh, you shimmy across the log, right? Like who swings on a vine in the middle of the jungle? Well, uh, truthfully, shimmies the log, the log breaks, he falls in the ravine. And if he didn't choose a grappling hook at the beginning, then he's not getting back up, right? He should have chose the vine, but I, but I chose, so here's what I started doing. I started Googling the answers on this show because it just stressed me out to, to pick which direction you're supposed to go. And a lot of us, that's how we see the will of God, isn't it? 
Like we have two doors in front of us. One leads to peace and prosperity, but the other is doom and destruction. You know, I'm primarily provoked when it comes to the will of God that a lot of us, when life is hard, we feel like we must be out of the will of God, but when life is good, then we must be. And when you read scripture, you see a totally different story. So how do we know what God wants in our life? Like, how do we know the will of God? How do we know what direction we should be taking? Is it some, like, warm, serene feeling that we get, right? Is there, is there some strange sign? It reminds me of, of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. You know the story of Gideon? Gideon, uh, or the Israelites, had been attacked by the Midianites, and, and Gideon is this guy that he's hiding out in a cave, scared to death, not, not sure what he's supposed to do. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, shows up to Gideon, and he says, Gideon, you mighty, valiant warrior. And he's like, I'm hiding in a cave. What kind of warrior do you think I am? I'm hiding here, right? And and God says, no, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver the Israelites through your hand. And Gideon says, there's no way. And over and over again, God proves that he's going to do this. And finally, at the end of it, he goes, all right, God. This is what he says. It says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, then behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, then I will know that you'll save Israel by my hand. So basically he was saying, show me a miracle. Give me a miracle. And then I will know if you're really going to do what it is that you said that you're going to do through my life. And don't we all do that in some capacity? I remember when I first started walking with Jesus, it was, I was a little nuts. Uh, and I've never been very good at sports, but I was playing basketball, shooting basketball outside uh, in, this, in a neighborhood little uh, basketball gym or basketball goal. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shooting, shooting uh, hoops and, and I, I'm a, just become a Christian. So I don't, got, I don't have a lot of people discipling me yet. I don't have a lot of that stuff going on. So I remember sitting there, all right, Lord, if you want me to date this girl, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's like, that's how we, and we laugh about that kind of stuff. But the truth is we do that all the time. We do that all the time. Like for many of us, we want God to be our magic eight ball, don't we? Wouldn't that be nice? Like, God, what do you want me to do in this direction? Right? God, what do you, is Daniel going to preach for an hour? Yes. Okay. So like there is this reality Uh, that a lot of us, we want God to be our magic eight ball. And so this weekend, what I want to do is I just want to acquaint us with one of my new favorite Psalms in this season of life that I'm in. Uh, And it's in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 25. If you have a Bible, you could open up there. Um, And so just before we jump in really quickly, I want to give you one word of perspective uh, before we totally dive in. Because up until about 50 years ago, the idea of talking about knowing the will of God wasn't a thing. And here's why. I believe it's because today we are obsessed with an individualistic culture where if I can have the the will of God, then I can find security and and self-actualization and individualism and all those things as a way of, of getting the will of God. And for many of us, we've turned the will of God into an idol where we want to know the will of God more than we want to know God himself. And we think finding the will of God will all of a sudden remove some sort of uncertainty and help us achieve our dreams in life versus achieving what it is that God has for us. But the Bible doesn't talk about this like that. The Bible does talk about God's guidance in our lives, but it puts the emphasis in different places. It puts much more emphasis on knowing and trusting God and becoming the kind of person that God wants you to be more than it ever does detecting some mystical guidance in some particular direction. The Bible does talk about this, but I need you to understand, here's the big idea for this morning. I'll just give it to you. 
uh, in case I go long and you want to walk out. Uh, the question is not how God guides, but who God guides. Guidance is not as much about something God gives to you as something that he does for you. The question is, are you the kind of person that God guides? So as I want to read this psalm uh, quickly with us this morning, Psalm 25. I'm reading out of the ESV, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read it to you here. It says this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall all, or they shall be ashamed who are wandering treacherously. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation and for you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord and therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his commandments and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? It is him who he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. That's a good line there, guys. The friendship of the Lord. Can you imagine what that feels? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. His, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Cons consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of his troubles. Here's what I want to talk through this morning that I think is that is incredibly important this is this beautiful prayer from David for guidance and direction in life right he starts off by saying who is the person in verse 12 he says who is the person who fears the Lord it's him that he's going to show the way that he should choose you want to know what direction that you should take in life and the will of God in your life, let me just tell you, it starts with the fear of the Lord. That's why Proverbs says that, the, that, that all knowledge, right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is so important for us because David sums up his hope in the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm. In verse 2 he says, My God, I trust in you. Don't let me be disgraced. In whatever decisions that I make, God, don't let me be disgraced. And then in verse 20, he says, guard me and rescue me. Don't let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Right? And so I want, before we kind of jump into the kind of person who God guides, I want to, I want to share a couple really important promises with you before we, before we dialogue through this. The first promise is this. Other people can't mess up God's will for your life. I think you just need to hear that this morning. Nobody can mess up God's will for your life. David talks about his enemies who are trying to ruin his life. He says, don't let my enemies gloat over me. Consider my enemies. They are numerous. They hate me violently, right? And some of us in our lives, we look back on our lives and somebody's really messed us up, haven't they? Like there's people in, this, in a group this size, man, there's obviously gonna be people in here who've had some pretty rough experiences with other people. Maybe it was an ex-spouse or a father or a mother or a brother or, or a business partner. 
And David had those people too. And he says that I trust that your promises are greater and more powerful than any of their evil intentions against me. It's hard not here, or here to not think about Joseph, right? His brothers sinned against him greatly in a way that really messed up his life. I mean, he was sold into slavery. He suffered greatly because of it. But ultimately, God used those things in his life as a way of fulfilling Joseph's destiny. And at the end of, Joseph, at the end of this, Joseph summarized to his brothers by saying, all these things that you meant for me, or that you meant for me, evil, God meant for good. They did hurt me, but God meant them for good. And by the way, it was this belief that enabled Joseph to forgive his brothers. And, and it's not that he released them from any responsibility for their actions. It's just that he realized that God had a greater plan. And he was able to let go of that bitterness that comes from thinking someone else has ruined your life. Some, for some of you, this will be old, an old story. But for some of you, this will be new. You see, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about Central Wisconsin, the reason why God kind of started birthing this thing into me, is what happened to my, to my family in 2009. 2009, right here in Stratford, Wisconsin, my mom was murdered. And we trans, every, for the, the whole trial of my mom's, my mom's murder, I would travel back and forth from Marshfield to Wausau to have dialogue with the court system about what was going to happen in, in this case. And it just started stirring up a passion for me and for Central Wisconsin. I'm going to tell you this right now, though, that God's grace, God's, what, what the enemy meant for evil, I can promise you that God meant for good. Because I've seen God use that story of my mom and her life to impact, literally, guys, for real, thousands of people. Thousands of people. See, listen, belief in the sovereignty of God and his promises to turn all things for good enables us to forgive others. And can I just tell you that forgiveness is not an option in your life? Friendship is, but forgiveness is not an option. If you're a Christ follower in this room right now and you've got people you need to forgive, I just want to encourage you right now. I need to challenge you, and I'm serious about this. You need to get by yourself, and, and I need, you, you need to write out the, the name of those people who've, who've hurt you, your parents, an ex-spouse, your boss, whatever it is, and you need to just go ahead and give that over to the Lord and say that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So promise number one is other people cannot, cannot stop God's will for your life. Here's the other one, promise number two. You can't stop God's will for your life. My own past mistakes don't permanently disqualify me from God's will over my life. Let me, let me say, what I love what David, I love this line and what David says in verse 11. He says, Lord, for, your, for, the, for, your, uh, excuse me, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity for it is great. Some versions say for it is immense, right? I mean, it is a lot of iniquity. Right? Not little iniquity, a lot of iniquity. I don't know about you, maybe you're significantly more spiritual than I am, but I got some iniquity in my life that I, that, that I need the Lord to continue to take care of. Right? And this is not one thing that I put to death. It is like every morning I wake up and there's multiple things that's like, gosh, die, die, die. Right? And at least two times in this psalm, David asked for forgiveness for past mistakes. Right? David believes that God's promises are greater even when his own mistakes uh, are, are evident in his life. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, that there is therefore, uh, there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus if you're in Christ. 
I remember when uh, the, the story about Eric, and uh, who, the, he's the guy who, who took my mom's life, and I started inviting him to church after Jesus gave me this passion to, to forgive Eric, and Eric started coming to church with me in, uh, in, at Northridge and Marshfield, and like it was pretty weird because church people don't know how to deal with that. Uh, and he sat here, and I sat here, and my wife sat here, and nobody else sat around us because everybody's like, who, this is a murderer, and he's in our church building. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point, right? And so anyways, he... Um, Six weeks, he would come to church every Sunday with us, you know, and six weeks in, six weeks, you know, it was beautiful. And then finally he says to me, he says, Daniel, I need Jesus to change my life like he has yours. And I held those hands that killed my mom, and he'll spend eternity in heaven with her. And it was that moment when I held his hands that I realized, you know what? There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And I will tell you this, though. Sin and mistakes will bring consequences into your life. They will. And they can be painful. But even those don't disqualify you from God's ultimate plan for your life. That's why we need each other. Because I would rather feel unqualified than be disqualified, right? I would rather be in the process of building relationships with people and letting them in to the brokenness of my life so that I can continue to be who it is that God's called me to be. Right, it's like Jacob, right? I mean, just like Joseph in Genesis, uh, except Jacob sins against his brother Esau, and there's a ton of negative consequences for this, right? Like he's he's estranged from his family, but in the middle of that, he meets Rachel, the love of his life, and from his relationship with her comes the line of the Messiah. <laughs> Out of his disrespect of his family. He, he was then estranged, kicked out kind of of the family, ran away from the family, and out of his line came the Messiah. Was this plan B for God? No. Did Jesus come out of the wrong plan? No, right? Here's the, here's the kicker. If you're willing to trust God, even your past sins can't disqualify you from God's ultimate destiny in your life. And some of us need to, need to hold on to that this morning. Because the decisions we've been making, man, look a little different than what we know God's called us to, hasn't it? In fact, this is an amazing picture of God's grace. That even through your sin, God brings about his plan. That's why I love verse 10. He says, all the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth. All the Lord's ways. Faithful, consistent love. Let me apply this another way. I've met people who were born from sinful circumstances. Right, out of wedlock, whatever, and they think maybe I'm a mistake. Sometimes they even... Uh, hold, sometimes they're even told that they're a mistake. Can I just tell you that in, you're, if you're in this room, you are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. Maybe the circumstances by which you came into the world were sinful. That's on your parents, but you were not a mistake. I remember when we started Deliver Hope, which, again, we worked with high-risk teenagers. We had a teen mom's ministry, right? And the reason when we started this teen mom's ministry, we had this little girl, uh, 17 years old, this beautiful, cute little thing. She had a little, little baby bump, and she walks into the restaurant to meet with my mom and I, or my mom, meet with my wife and I. I was talking about my mom earlier, sorry. Anyways, meet with my wife and I, and she walks in, and she says, you know, I said, uh, you know, sweetheart, do you have a church family that you could like lean into to get some help from or whatever? And she says, no, are you kidding me? You can live in sin and hide, but my sin is right here. And I was like, wow, that's, what if I told you that pregnancy outside of marriage wasn't sin? And she was like, what? Now, before you start throwing stuff at me, hear me. If we're here to talk about sex outside of marriage, well, we can do that, but that's not why we're here. The reality is that baby was created in the image of God. The word says that you're, that that baby was knit together in your womb by the creator God. Like, that's a beautiful picture, and that's why we ended up moving and starting all this stuff. I mean, you are not a mistake. 
See, these are some incredible promises. And so the question is, right, like what do you have to do to experience the kind of guidance, right? I think the first thing is we need to remember those two, those two promises. Other people can't mess up God's will for your life and you can't mess up God's will for your life. All right, so who are the kind of people that God guides? I'm gonna give you four characteristics. I'm gonna try to pump through them pretty quickly. Uh, here's the first one. Those who are trained in the ways of God. Those who are trained in the ways of God. He says this uh, in verse four. He says, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. David's talking to him here about an inward familiarity with the ways of God that trains him how to act, right? It's, it's like an athlete. Like an athlete can't be instructed on how to respond uh, in every situation exactly, right? What's, what happens is an athlete is trained to a place that they know how to respond when a situation comes. This is the kind of thing that we need to be doing when it comes to the ways of God. These are planned moves. They're in-the-moment responses that comes from skilled training. Here's how the New Testament talks about it in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. It says, anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who, listen, by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I need you to hear those two. There's two phrases there that are really, really important. The first one that I want to point out is trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, a lot of us, we're leaning so much on Sunday morning attendance to be our understanding of Scripture that we miss out on the, on the, on the beauty of God in our lives. But we need to train ourselves in to distinguish good from evil by constant use of the word of God. That word constant use, it means being so saturated in scripture and skilled in its application that it becomes like second nature. It's like second nature. So here's your action step. You need to get saturated in God's ways. You need to get saturated because listen, this is a good one for you. You, will, you won't live out the will of God any more than you know the word of God. You won't be able to live out the will of God in your life any more than you know the word of God. All right, second characteristics for those who God guides, those obedient to the commands of God. It says this in verse nine, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. That word humble, it means that you believe that God's way is best. And the opposite of, is pride, where you assume that your way is better than God's. And David is saying, God's promise to give you guidance in the areas that scripture may not address is extended to those who are obeying him in the areas that scripture does address. Right? So when you disobey, you proudly assume that your way is better and you cut yourself off from guidance. You cut yourself off from guidance. And here's how I know, because there are moments in our lives, right? You ever had these moments where you, it just feels like, for those of us in Christ, right? It just feels like me and God are just like this. I mean, it was like, yes. I mean, you wake up in the morning like, oh, I can't wait to get in the word. I can't wait to hear his voice. I can't. And then there are other moments where it's like, hello, where are you? I, I can almost guarantee a lot of times it starts with small acts of disobedience. Small acts of disobedience. So here's the thing. A lot of people, we want guidance over there, but we won't obey right here. There's a problem there. Some of you are saying that right now. God, what's your will in this decision? But you have some area of disobedience and God is pointing you back to that and saying, go and deal with this and then you'll experience my guidance. Right? So, so important. Uh, so, it, so then, so those obedient to the commands of God. Number three is those who are trusting in the promises of God. Actually, I need to say this really quickly. I'm gonna go back to this forgiveness thing. 
The command to forgive is imperative to understanding the direction that God has for your life. You want to walk in the will of God and you have unforgiveness and bitterness towards, towards other people, I can promise you that it is like a, it's like a blinder. I, I truly believe that forgiveness is directly tied to God's favor in our life. Our ability to forgive is directly tied to God's favor in our lives. Okay, so those obedient to the commands of God, those who are trusting in the promises of God, right? It says this, those who wait for you will not be disgraced. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. That word wait means patiently, waiting patiently for God to fulfill his promise in his time. It says this in verse 14, the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, right? Or the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Can you imagine this? Some, some verses say, uh, or some uh, versions say that the Lord confides in those who fear. I have only a couple people that I can like fully confide in, you know? Like the confiding of like, hey, let me tell you all the mess. You know? Because the truth is, if you knew what was deeply in my heart, you'd spit in my face. Just like you. But it says that the Lord confides in those who fear him. It's like a secret counsel. Tim Keller says that this phrase indicates the special moments of, of spirit guidance that God wants to give you. Don't you want to be able to walk in that? The spirit guidance. And when these are necessary, they're given to the person who trusts God and walk in his ways. Okay, so you say, obedient to the commands of God, open to, the, uh, you, you know, open to a special counsel. Practically, what does that mean in the decision, when a decision's upon me? It means that you take advantage of every means of wisdom that you have at your disposal. Scripture, your reason, counsel, the ways that the Spirit might be leading you, and then you make the decision as best you can and trust that God is, it will guide you like he promised he would. You say, well, what if it's the wrong one? Trust that God will guide you like he said he would. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I love what it says in Acts chapter 15. It's one of my favorite passages when I'm making decisions. It says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It just seemed good. Seemed good to the Holy Spirit, seemed good to us. Let's make the decision. I think we can, we can go on and move from there. And, and then trust that God will guide you. I, I think this is the moment where it's important for us to remember uh, that what your spirit animal is, a sheep. You're a sheep. And I got good news and bad news. Bad news. The bad news is, let's go with the bad news first. Bad news is, sheeps are idiots. <laughs> you know, sheeps are idiots. The good news is, we've got a great shepherd. Can I just say this really quickly? There is a, uh, there's a political phrase going around right now. I'm not a political, I'm not getting into politics right now, so just bear with me. There's a, there's a political phrase going around right now that says, I'm a lion, not a sheep. Can I just tell you that if you're a Christian, you are a sheep. There is one lion, and he's the lion of Judah. You, my friend, are a sheep. We don't lean in the competence of a sheep. Sheeps are idiots, and you know this because when you trust yourself, you end up falling into the same traps every time. Right? The good news is, though, is that God tells me to lean not on my own decision-making ability, but in, but in his willingness to guide me. God gave up on my decision-making ability and yours way back in the garden. Right? And so he tells me, lean not on my own understanding. Again, the big idea, the question of this psalm is not how God guides, but whom God guides. All right, last one, very important. I'll close with this because I'm two minutes over time. So you've got those that are trained in the ways of God, obedient to the commands of God, trusting in the promises of God, and then listen, those depending on the grace of God. 
You know, there are several times in this psalm where David asks God to rescue him. Talks about, he talks about God's forgiveness and deliverance. In verse 10, he exalts all the Lord's ways are love and, and, and truth. It's unconditional, right? See, here's the thing I'm convinced of. What haunts many of us is in our pursuit of God's will is that maybe God has mixed feelings towards us. Like maybe he's, he's still holding some grudges because of the things that I've done in the past or, or some disappointments that I've lived out. And so in any good blessing, a lot of times, sometimes I, I don't even know why I think this, but I'm like waiting on the other shoe to drop. Friends, how God guides us and what God gives us is no longer based on the worthiness of how we live, but on the worthiness of how Jesus lived. It says all the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. The New Testament way of saying this is there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you in Christ. None. That means that you don't have to wait for the other shoe to drop. You know why? Because it was dropped on Jesus. I love the verse in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. That means that in the gospel, like I can embrace my promise to walk in blessing all the days of my life. That in Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. That in Christ, all the promises of God are yes. That in Christ, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, within, with whom there is no shadow of turning, which means that there are no second thoughts and no mixed feelings. Or to quote David one more time, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let me share this crazy thing. So the, the, my mom, you know, passed and I had the privilege of, of uh, wa- watching God move through forgiveness. Uh, you know, in 2015, I got to share my mom's story with 60,000 people. 60,000 people in central Arkansas at one, in one like big event. And thousands of people came to know Christ as their savior. Other people can't mess up God's will for your life. You can't mess up God's will for your life. God wants to direct you. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's all through Christ. It's all through Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to move into a time of communion this morning. I'm so honored to be able to lead you into this. Uh, Every time I take communion, it's one of those things that just like, I don't know, man. I just get so... It's like I get emotional about it. See, for a lot of us, um, a lot of us, we've been in church for so long that the beauty of Christ dying for us has become old news. And this stuff should never be old to us. Like, it should never stop humbling us. So I'm going to read this, and the ushers are going to come and pass out the elements. I guess that's how we're going to handle that, right, guys? It says this, um, For I received from the Lord 
what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink or you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the blood, the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person then examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we were judged by the Lord, we were disciplined so that we may, be con- we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, which is what we're doing right now, we're coming together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, okay. And then he, the, I love the, the beauty of, of this uh, passage where it talks about that anyone who eats uh, or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that we should examine ourselves, all the things that we were talking about, disobedience. Are there areas of disobedience in your life? Are there areas of unforgiveness in your life? As as you take those elements and pray right there in your seat, would you just ask the Lord to reveal those things to you? Search me and know me, O God. Reveal reveal if there's uh, anything against me or anything against you. So we're going to spend that time together as the ushers come. and, uh, And right there in your seat, seek the Lord and then we'll take communion together.